0: episode to talk about, uh, and I'll really go into it in a why in a moment, but first I want to talk about Joe Minoski. For those of you who don't know, Joe Minoski is one of the people who's written a lot of Voyager scripts, some TNG, some DS9, and he was also one of the two people who got together to make the Scorpion uh, duology, along with Brennan Braga. Now, both of them seem to work really, really well together, but one of the things that's undeniable is Joe Minoski has an unusual attitude when it comes to writing, an attitude I don't hate, but I do actually disagree with. Joe Minoski thinks, well, you know what, I'm just going to... I actually bothered to write down this quote, so I'm just going to share it with you. He was discussing the idea of doing an episode about Leonardo da Vinci, which is what this episode is. Spoiler alert. And he wanted to get da Vinci off the ship to actually go do an adventure. Someone actually says, well, how do we get him off the ship? And his response was, and I quote, it doesn't matter how you get off him a ship. That's like two lines of tech dialogue that you brush off, and boom, you're on the, to the adventure. That right there explains so much of the mindset of Joe Minoski's writing style. He's not actually a bad writer. He does some great character stuff. His dialogue for, for Leonardo da Vinci is amazing. And he does some really good character-driven pieces, right? But the problem is, he's one of those people who looks at things like... Sense, logic or continuity and says that's unnecessary he is ultimately much more of a writer of things like tales like I talked about back in my brother's video than of stories it's one of the reasons why he tends to work better when he works in a group with someone else it's also one of the reasons why Scorpion despite being an amazing episode had some pretty serious logical hiccups when it came to the how did this come to be I just felt like sharing that because when I first saw that my first reaction was to just slap the guy <laughs> to be honest with you, it's like, oh my god, really? But whatever. I just thought I'd share it. Uh, it's his own opinion, which I disagree with. John Rice davies is amazing. When I, uh, okay, I took a couple notes before I even rewatched the episode, and what I wrote down was that I remember this episode very positively, you know, very well. I remember the, uh, really enjoying this episode, and I wondered at how much of that was just because of the actor John Rhys-Davies and how amazing he is in, like, everything he's ever been in. I already talked about how great he was as Leonardo previously in this same series. So, you know, um, so the thought occurred to me, is this actually a bad episode? Because I couldn't really remember much details about th- things other than the, the you know, the, the criminal empire guy and the stealing technology and then Leonardo is awesome. Those was pretty much my memories of this episode. Now, re-watching it, I do still enjoy this episode, so we'll go ahead and lay that to bed. But I would have no denial of the fact that if it was another actor playing Leonardo, I don't think it would have been nearly as strong. I had a huge discussion not too long ago about how the guest stars, and truly good guest stars, is one of those key elements to episodes like this. I talked about this extensively in Revulsion, and I probably will talk about it again in the future. John Rhys-Davies sells the role of Leonardo so well. There are certain actors... This is skipping ahead of my notes a little bit. There are certain actors who have this ability to just get across tremendous weight, for lack of a better term. Uh, gravitas, if you will, to their role. Um, Leonard Nimoy. Moment of silence. Leonard Nimoy is another excellent example of this type of actor. Someone who can just put weight behind what they're saying. So if they say it, there's, there's more gravity. There's more air to it. There's more strength and severity and, like, an, an air of... I don't even know what to call it. Dignity, I guess. Uh, another, actually, Alec Guinness is another excellent actor who does the same type of thing. And so... And John Rice davies is another excellent example. He completely sells the role of Leonardo for me. The way he says his lines, the way he emotes, the way he gestures, it's... he He manages to not just play one type. He... He portrays several different sides of Leonardo too throughout the episode. It's really good stuff. Here's why I'm building up the two lords. Up towards though. If I only enjoyed this episode because of John Rice Davies, is that necessarily a bad thing? Well, as ever, my answer is actually it could be, but it ne- isn't necessarily. In other words, if there's something that makes me enjoy game, video, book, move, music, whatever, A, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that as long as from me, within me, I am genuinely enjoying and having happiness as a result of this thing that I am embodying, that I am enjoying, right? It makes a degree of sense, does it not? And yet the thing is, it's very easy to take that too far. If I were to insist that every game is like game A because Game A was the best, or other games that don't have features of Game A are worse because of that, that's debatably pushing things a bit too far. If I can use an analogy that I use all the damn time, I get really sick of people preaching that WoW was better in vanilla than it is now. Now, I cannot begin to disagree with that more, but that's my opinion. I have never actually met anyone who genuinely thinks that WoW vanilla is better than WoW current, and I know that sounds like a weird thing, but I meet plenty of people who have the... Nostalgia factor that says, "Well, vanilla was—it was a moment of ah." Now, as long as that allows them to enjoy well vanilla and keep those memories and, and you know have the, the, those enjoyable memories, there's nothing wrong with that. The moment they go try to ruin other people's enjoyment and other people's joy by trying to insist that they're wrong, that's where it gets bad. See, there's also another side of this. Let's say that I go to someone who likes Wild vanilla genuinely, likes well vanilla better because of nostalgia factor, and say. Well, you just like that because of nostalgia factor, and therefore, you are invalid. The thing is, I've always said that some things age better than other things. I've said this many, many times. It's one of the things that inspired the Then and Now series. Does a game age that well? You know, having, uh, you know, How is it in my memory versus how is it replaying it now? But no matter how you look at it, if I enjoyed... Fallout, I'll use a specific example, the original Fallout, and I did, I enjoyed the hell out of Fallout, if I enjoyed Morrowind, if I enjoyed the original XCOM, if I enjoyed Civilization 2, the nostalgia factor for the fact that I enjoyed those is still valid. It's still something that can enable me to enjoy those games still, even to a lesser extent, even though I would admit instantly that those games have aged horribly. Original Deus Ex, that's another good example. These games have aged so badly that I actually have trouble going back and replaying them. But I can always enjoy those memories. I can always enjoy playing, like, the first few minutes of it, and being like, ah, and this was great, and that was great. There is still actual happiness and joy I derive from that, even if it is being boosted by a nostalgia factor, right? As long as I am honest about that, there's nothing wrong with that. So to get back to the point of this episode, if I'm watching an episode and I like it because John Rice davies and if I remember liking it because of John Rice davies there's nothing wrong with that. It's an entirely valid reason to like this episode, as long as I don't take it too far in one way or the other. Now, that being said, this is actually a good episode. It has some logical hiccups, but, it, you know, whatever. So, <laughs> speaking of logical hiccups, the the Voyager is attacked by ships who start shooting at it Doing no damage, it's worth noting. And then it starts stealing stuff from them, which they find out pretty quickly, but they respond incredibly slowly. And then after a stupid long amount of time, we're talking like 30 seconds of Solid being attacked, with no attempt at communication, they finally decide to go ahead and fight back. Except they can't now, because they've already been robbed to the point of disability. This is stupid. However, it is necessary because... Well, that's the Joe Minoski uh, writing style in a nutshell. In other words, who cares how we get there? We just have to get there. So they're dumb, and then they fight back once, and they demonstrate that they are more than a match for the enemy ships, obliterating the one they actually attack. I just felt like pointing it out, because it's just kind of... I mean, you'd think that someone... uh, Granted, the Alpha and Beta Quadrants don't really have much of a pirate problem... But they do have a pirate problem. They are aware of what pirates are, and therefore they should probably be aware of how to deal with ships that show up out of nowhere, don't try to communicate, and try to steal your stuff. It just... Whatever. Seven has a couple of scenes in this episode. Most of them are unnecessary. I already mentioned this in my previous episode. Uh, uh Random thought. Seven started getting a lot of scenes literally inserted because she was popular. Even though she didn't have anything to do in it, even though it wasn't relevant to her, it was like, okay, here's Seven. I like the first scene with Seven in this one a little bit better than the one in Concerning Thought, though, because they actually bothered to try and do something with it. This is what Joe Minoski's good at. See, Seven learns a lesson about humanity is going to become one of the major subplots of, like, the next 20 billion episodes, all the way through the end of Voyager. Literally until the final episode, until Endgame. But, um... I'm okay with that to some extent or another, as long as that progression A keeps which it doesn't. She resets several times in her in her progress. And B is a bit of a slow progression, which is a little more debatable. In other words, you can't just have an episode... Like, if they had done a thing where episode one, an episode comes by, you know, six episodes from now, and Seven just completely changes her attitude, I wouldn't go for that. That would actually be bad writing. So constantly showing her, interacting with the crew in small ways, and having those interactions being about, you know, well, okay, this is how... Uh, this is her interacting with this, this is her learning about diplomacy, this is her learning about niceties, etc. So the little scene about her talking with Kim and trying to learn how to, uh, well, rather being told how to get along with people and not getting along with people, I liked that. It was relevant to her character. It's another little, tiny little step in her progression, or at least it should be. And it is actually relevant to the story, as opposed to... um, Uh, Neelix and Seven yammering about nothing, basically, over there. Instead, we have Seven and Kim actively trying to make do with a ship that doesn't have a central computer, which, well, we know how bad that can be, don't we? We've known how bad that can be going all the way back to the TNG, if not earlier. So, I like that. I'm with it. Definitely. Definitely better better step upward. One of the funny things I have about this episode is... TNG, early TNG, and some of the original series stuff tended to preach about, well, socialism, basically. Uh, the idea of how uh, currency-based economics are evil and wrong. Whether that's true or not is something that I'm not even going to begin to get into, Okay. That's that's ultimately going to come down to opinion anyways, because no matter what you do, that that system has to be implemented by people. People are not perfect. All it takes is a few people to screw up a system. So no matter what system you implement it, it's going to be screwed up anyway. So I, I don't even want to get into that debate. Point is, I get irritated being preached at. So I really dislike it when Vo- uh, Picard comes along and tells me how we, vote, we, we no longer have the material wealth of things and all that crap. It, given certain... Other things about Star Trek I'm not going to talk about right here. I'll, I'll save that for TNG. But my point in bringing this up is I like how Janeway presents the idea of commerce. Some One person has something that someone else wants, and trade is born. Now, I kind of liked that, because I've always felt that the idea of trade is not a bad thing. Trade is ultimately a social function. And it is something that is a necessary vehicle for expansion. Literally necessary, I would argue. Now, I think that trade can be taken too far. But that brings me to the point I wanted to make here. I like how they emphasize that this is a trading hub and a city focused on trade. It's ironic Neelix had nothing to do with this episode. But again, this is past his realm of expertise, so I guess it makes sense. But the other interesting thing is that trade will almost invariably lead to another aspect of society. Theft. And that is interesting, too, because Tuvok immediately points that one out. But as he was saying it, I found myself wondering how much of the parts of that city were actually traded for, actually partnered for, rather than outright stolen, just like, I can't even remember the name of the villain, but the villain, senior bad guy, stole, right? But it is a necessary thi- uh, I shouldn't say necessary, it's, it's, a, it's a common thing to happen. When trade happens, theft happens. And the funny thing about theft is it is invariably worth it in the short term and almost universally not worth it in the long term. I could make a bad joke here, but I'm not going to. It has to do with legalized theft. Moving on. Um, I also really love this whole situation, which is why I wanted to talk about this here. In the villain, senior bad guy... Um, we have an odd situation that is actually feels threatening. I mention this because, as I've talked about many times throughout this series, there have been so many situations where the Voyager crew, in my estimation, was not actually threatened. It, you know, they, they, the, the episode tries to portray it as though they're threatened, but I, I, I don't feel any tension or whatnot. I actually pointed this out, especially in... that um, was an episode right before Scorpions, the one where they were being kidnapped off the ship, and I felt genuine tension. And it struck me because I actually felt the tension, you know, without actually trying to or being prompted to because it's so rare to feel that on voyager in this episode i felt like the villain and the villains were a genuine threat it's a criminal syndicate that has massive infrastructure tons of tons of people working for it tons of resources a great deal of know-how tremendous skill and a unique ability an asset that that beams through shields teleporting steel gun which I'm willing to let slide because it's an interesting enough concept that I'm totally with it. And I could see that kind of shield-penetrating, I'm-here-to-steal-stuff kind of a gun. Especially since, don't forget, he stole that too. But anyways. So it's a really interesting uh, setup because he feels like a real threat. He, has ta- he took Voyager and he was completely overmatched by Voyager. And yet because he managed to get the drop on them and managed to cripple them to the point of debilitation, he is actually a match for the Voyager crew. Now, I mention this because this is all the hallmarks of a situation which could be genuinely threatening and have real tension. None of those exist. Not really. Because this, that's, that's, and this is the weird thing. This is such a weird episode. Because you've got this deadly alien and you've got this tense situation. And yet this whole episode is nothing more than a vehicle for Leonardo da Vinci gets to get out of the ship and have an adventure. Now, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, because the adventure is great. And, of course, John Rice davies as I've said seven times, eight, nine, whatever, really sells the role. But it's so odd to have that kind of presentation as, as effectively as a B-plot, the A-plot of, well, there is no A-plot. And that's the weird thing. It is literally just an adventure, an adventure with no real goal in mind, an adventure with no real end point other than to return to status quo. It is just all about Leonardo. And Catherine, and Catherine Janeway, being out there and enjoying a, an adventure and, and getting into trouble and barely making it out and surviving and returning at the end. The, the end, right? And yet it works. It's the weirdest thing. And the funny thing is the episode actually does some weird attempts at comedy, which I also feel succeed. There's a great scene with Tim Russ, uh, Tuvok who approaches um, Leonardo to engage him in small talk. And it's awesome. He he has such a great small talk chat with him. And, I don't know, the whole scene was just really well acted, really well directed. Uh, speaking of which, I want to give huge props. The 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 location work in this episode is really, really good. Not just the stuff they did on the hills, but they did some stuff in, in the nearby uh, sound studio and in uh, the Paramount Lot and everything in L.A. in order to really get some fun stuff across for the for the factories and whatnot. and they also did some really really good uh, location work with regards to the glider, which deserves special props. They basically took three separate shots of the glider. There's a shot of them up close on the glider just basically standing there out on the hill. There's a shot of them actually moving on the glider and basically being just a little bit above the ground and they just shot it at a specific angle to make it look like they're actually flying. And then there's actually a CGI glider which they actually did as a whole separate thing and filmed that. In other words, they composited these three shots together and spliced them very well to actually make it look. And I was genuinely surprised by how good it looked. It really looked like they were flying. They did a really good job with that. So props to them. So they did some great location work with that. They did some great camera work. If you ever want to learn how to get good in... in uh, character interactions, and still make there be some energy in the scene, rather than just two people talking over each other's shoulder. Watch this episode. Watch how the camera pans and moves, and, and focuses and unfocuses between the characters. I noticed it especially because it's rather unusual for Voyager uh, to have this kind of directorial style. I actually looked up the director. Uh, forgive me for uh, not knowing how, uh, not writing down his name because I'm an idiot. But he's done some good stuff. I wrote down some of the episodes he's done: uh, Deep Space Nine, the episode The Begotten. Uh, He did Fair Trade, which we've already covered, and Day of Honor, which we've already covered. He'll also do Vis-a-Vis and um, another one I forgot to write down uh, in the future. He does some really good stuff. He's only done a few episodes, though. Uh, But definite props to the director of this episode. I love how the Doc is so desperate for gossip. And again, that's a weird thing of this episode, because it's another one of those comedy moments. The Doctor is trapped in sick bay, and... The humor is he's only been trapped down there for 10 days. Okay, I know, only, right? But at the same time, it's entirely indicative because most people would react exactly the same way he does. After having total freedom and finally getting accustomed to that, and keep in mind he didn't have total freedom at the beginning, so he is given total freedom, he enjoys it, he loves it, it's taken away from him. 10 days pass by, he is literally chomping at the bit to learn Klingon cuss words because it's something going on beyond the sickbay. And it doesn't even matter what it is, it's just something going on beyond the sickbay. I love that. I love the fact that he was just desperate for gossip. Very, very much the doctor. I absolutely love the Sparrow speech, but at the same time, I also hate it. I hate it because the way it was written sounds very arrogant from Janeway's perspective. But I love it because of the way John Rice Davies performs his side of it. His line, which I wrote down here if I could not accept that, In other words, meaning, if I cannot accept the fact that there are things beyond my understanding, then I would be a fool. The way he portrays his side of that conversation is beautiful. And really well done. And probably one of the best examples I've ever seen of character out of their element has to be introduced to futuristic elements. Star Trek has done that a lot. Science fiction in general has done that a lot. And yet this episode I feel does one of the best examples of how to take someone from the old timey days and introduce them to the futuristic sci-fi-y present, you know, the present of the sci-fi, and have them react to that and have it be a good, believable reaction. I really like what they did with that. I really think it's a shame that there was no more Leonardo subplot, Um, we instead get the stupid Irish uh, town thing. I shouldn't say stupid. It's not actually stupid. They just... There's some flaws with it that I'll get there. But we get that for, like, two episodes, and I really wish they just stuck with this subplot rather than actually, you know, being like, hey, here's Leonardo da Vinci, and then he's gone. I know there was... The real reason that this happened is there were troubles uh, getting a hold of John Rice Davies, and uh, that was the real reason they couldn't actually do this, which is a damn shame, because he actually enjoyed the role, uh, from what I understand, and really wanted to portray it in the future. Um, So it's a darn shame that they couldn't do more with that. Final note, before I go on, I just love one thing they did. The writers, the directors, and John Rice davies all came forward to do one great thing. And it's, again, that fish-out-of-water thing. This is the other reason I love his portrayal of Leonardo da Vinci. He is perceiving all of this fancy technology and transportation and phasers and all this stuff through the lens of someone from his century, but at no point does he, he freak out, no point does he go, oh my god, it's, you he, he takes it as if it's something, and, it, and, he, and he interprets it from his own worldview, and I love that, I love that presentation, it added so much flavor and humanity to him, and again, was another wonderful fresh take on that someone who's a fish out of water situation, so huge props, I really recommend this episode, I'm sorry I don't have much else to say, it really is just the Leonardo da Vinci adventure, but it's great stuff. Highly recommend it. And I will now see you at the next episode. Let me ask you something. If you were something other than a human being, if you were a different kind of animal, if you were a small bird, a sparrow, what would your world be like? I should make my home in a tree in the branch of an elm. I should hunt insects for food, straw for my nest... And in the springtime, I should sing for a companion. Then you would know nothing of the politics of Florence? The cutting of marble or mathematics? Of course not. But why not? My mind would be too small. As a sparrow, your mind would be too small, even with the best of teachers. If Aristotle himself were to perch on my branch and lecture till he fell off from exhaustion, still the limits of my mind would prevent me from understanding. And as a man, can you accept that there may be certain realities beyond the limits of your comprehension? I could not accept that. And I would be a fool.